It's our favorite time of day. It's Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and insights that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. Don Eubanks couldn't be with us today. He is taking his daughter to get her booster shot. So we wish him all the luck and the protection and safety uh, for making sure that uh, his family is all set to be able to be around each other this holiday season. Now, at the time of our recording today, many of us across the nation are, and in many parts of the world, are getting ready for a series of holiday traditions. Now, this comes from many religions many experiences, many cultural practices, all lining up and converging at this time. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to come together and say, what are some of the traditions that may be unique um, to us? Just because I don't necessarily know if I know what everybody does in our group during the holidays. And what are some of the really interesting tweaks to that? And so I wanted to give that question to you all, like, what is it that you all do in the holidays, especially some of the things that um, <laughs> you have to take extra time to explain to your white friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a long list, so maybe, Helene, you want to go first because it's going to be a while. You, you have a long list. I have a white husband. Imagine having to explain things to him. <laughs> Especially when he's like, that's not Christmas food. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, that is Christmas food. <laughs> Yes, I colonizer, mean, <laughs> it is Christmas food. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, when I think of Christmas, I think of egg rolls and rice and papaya salad. He's like, I think of ham and turkey. And I'm like, ugh, <laughs> that's so, weird. <laughs> so, please, this is this is this is really interesting because I tried to decenter those traditional Christmas foods in my in my multi-generational African-American household. And I almost, uh, folks was ready to fight. Folks was ready to, 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 and I'm like, I'm like, yo, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Cause you know, in terms of foods, like, so, so we are a Christian uh, household, a black Christian household. And so um, we have just this really interesting mix of thanks to Dr. Milana Karenga in the sixties who developed Kwanzaa, um, the idea of Kwanzaa. We, we have kind of this, this Kwanzaa Christmas overlap thing that happens. And, and so the foods are both reminiscent of like down-home soul because we don't have the mac and cheese and the greens and, the, um, and, and, and what you would consider traditional African-American foods overlapped with turkey because apparently folks got made fun of at one point for not having turkey and ham on Christmas. So there's this really interesting mashup um, and nobody ever eats the turkey. Uh, the ham goes quick. And um, mostly because people want to use the ham bone for all the soups and stuff afterwards. So not mm. it, it, there's this really interesting clash that happens with, where, where you know, our cultural identity, especially for, for our West African family as part of the group mix. Um, like we have some foods in there that folks don't, you know, that, 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 that our traditionalists in the family are like, no. Hell no. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even know until this year that like ham and turkey was a thing for Christmas. Mm. Ah, there you go. 
you, you just wait, um, wait, wait. So all the previous years that, that you've gotten to this season with your, with your hubby, there, there's well, because the thing is, it's is just like, happened. Yeah, well, my my husband's my husband's my husband's parents. <laughs> my I husband's. Like I like my husband's. I like my husband's. Yeah, you have to keep that. One. <laughs> his his parents passed uh, before uh, we were dating. Um, and his family mostly live up in the Duluth area. So we really right, didn't celebrate right. with them. So most holidays we always spent with my family. And so I was really used to everything. And I, I, you know, I feel bad because now as you, you was, you guys and I are talking, but I never really checked in with him on how weird it must have <laughs> been with him to go to like, oh yeah, we're, we celebrate Christmas too. Come to my mom's house, you know? And then all the food mm-hmm. is not what he expected. And you know, the presents are different and the way we celebrate is different. And, you know, I mean, he's brought a little bit of something westernized to our Christmases. He plays Santa, you know. Um, okay. A, and that makes sense because he got that beard. He's got the beard. He's got the belly. He's, you know, uh, he he's does none of the children are his so they can look at his eyes and not realize that it's their daddy. So that he's of the white persuasion. (laughs) He's of their white persuasion, so they're a little, you know, fits in a little more with what they're used to. Uh, I mean, my I don't I I honestly I don't even know if my parents really understand what Christmas is about because we we didn't celebrate it growing up. We learned about it. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. And so one year, uh, as a child, one year, um, so my. I have the oldest, the older kids of our family have five girls. Um, and then my parents took a break for a few years and then had a boy and then a girl and another boy. But the older uh, of us, we always shared a room. And we uh, and so one year we decided we were going to pool what money we had um, and buy my parents slippers for Christmas. Because, you know, that's that's what you do is slippers. And that's what we saw on TV and learned mm. about at school so we did that, and so then it was like the night before Christmas, and my dad realized that we had went went out and bought them gifts. So he went out to the Walgreens or the Kmart near our house, <laughs> and he bought us each sweet. a box of candy cane. Aww, and since sweet. we didn't have a tree or anything, because who knows what that is, um, he hid it under our bed. So and we all shared beds. We had we had like three, uh, two full-size beds, and we'd share them. And so in the morning, under each of our beds was a box of can- a dozen candy canes. Uh, and then we just kind of picked it up along the way, little tidbits about, you know, what mm-hmm. Americans do. And I was really thinking of this yesterday as I was walking my dog because there's a, a Karen family that just moved into the neighborhood, and they put Christmas lights up. And I thought, uh, how nice is that, you know, that they're trying to – to really fit in and see that, you know, this is something Americans do. And it really reminded me of my parents' experience and our experience growing up and how people, Americans, white Americans, always think that immigrants come in and try to force our language and our religion on them. But really, we just we just want to fit in. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we celebrate this religious ceremony that uh, because the Americans do it and, and we feel like it's an American thing. So, mm-hmm. no, we don't like my husband's family sing happy birthday to Jesus. Uh, but we do celebrate the coming together of family, exchanging gifts, you know, teaching the kids naughty or nice, uh, having a meal. 
which I think is supposed to be right the core of of the, of Christmas. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's funny because Clee, if you would describe Christmas that way, um, the elders in my family would have huge issues mm-hmm. because they would say your description of it takes it completely away from. Uh, er, there's not enough Jesus in your response. Flea. <laughs> <laughs> you would cause some arguments in 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 my household, and I think that this this is this is a very interesting piece for 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 us because. Yeah, we had the trappings of the kind of uh, the Americana Christmas thing that has that's that's really fairly new, right? It's a very mm-hmm. pretty modern concept in, in in the way that we do it. This kind of Norman Rock, Rockwell, you know, Americana Christmas thing is something that is in our in my family's zeitgeist. But if any of it takes away from from the Christian aspect of Christmas, ooh, you best believe I will never forget. Um, somebody asking, um, I can't remember if it was my grandma or my aunt, one of them, um, if, if we were going to, if, if, if I was going to go see Santa and the response was, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, the only person we're going to stand in the line in front of a throne and go bow down to whoever's sitting on that throne is if it's King Jesus, I ain't taking my son <laughs> to, to nobody, you know? Uh, <laughs> so we had this very interesting space where, um, you know, we could do gifts, we could do, you know, but, but there was a line and you didn't always know where it was, but if the line got too commercial and not Jesus enough, mm-hmm. oh, it was, it was going to be a problem, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and so let, let alone, you know, the fact that all of this was in preparation for something that we'll talk about a little later, but, but watch night, right? This is, this is mm-hmm. the season that opens up our getting ready oh, yeah. for watch night. And so, um, you know, so far less about, the day, even though the presence and stuff are there. Again, Clea, this is the thing I find interesting is how much we as multi-generational African-Americans with many generations in, in, in America still felt like growing up that we were doing Christmas activities to fit in. I just think that's mm. a very interesting, um, it's interesting to share that feeling with somebody who with an immigrant experience um, and having to navigate the things there. I had never thought about the connection between those two. And, and- and I want to draw just one more connection between what the two of you are saying, which fitting in is another way of saying belonging, right? So when we think about race equity and we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it really is fundamentally about belonging. And so I want to be able to draw that connection for folks so they understand when we work towards race equity, we're talking about a lot of things, and we're talking about inclusion, we're talking about belonging and, and having that innate feeling as human beings to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? Well, it's, <laughs> I have a lot as I, as I disclosed earlier. So, so let's start with the fact that as a data point, what three fourths of, of, my parents are from Mexico, so three fourths of uh, Mexicans identify as Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I myself consider myself as a recovering Catholic. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all the details why, but there's a lot of uh, oh, inconsistencies <laughs> with, with the, the basic tenets of Catholicism and my values. There's some clashing there. But so we start, uh, and so I'll be speaking both in terms of Mexico, but also Central America and South America. So we start early. So December 7th, 
Dia de, los, de las Velitas, which is Day of the Candles, right. uh, is a day that is celebrated in Colombia, in Colombia, where there are thousands of little candles that are displayed around the country, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Then I'm going to take you to December 16th through December 24th, mm-hmm. which is in Mexico, it's called Las Posadas, uh, which is basically um, in English, posadas means uh, ends. So it's basically the end. So it's a reenactment, if you will, of uh, Mary and Jesus going house to house, mm-hmm. trying to have to find a place then to for Mary to give birth to Jesus and and being turned away. So for nine days, from December 16th through the 24th, friends and families uh, in invite each other to a posada. And so you walk through the towns in Mexico and they're singing. Uh, and then you, for some families, they reenact the, um, the, the denial, the right? Is, well, yeah. the, the well, denial, the denial of, of you can't, you away. can't come in, you know, so they, right. they send you packing basically. No, you know, not today. You're not coming in. And so you keep going. Other families don't, you know, they just, they have a prearranged, yeah, we're going to go to, you know, um, Tia Maria's house and, and we're going to go mm-hmm. hang there. But once you get there, there's, it's basically a giant Christmas party. There's a piñata mm-hmm. uh, is, is there for the kids. Um, and then also just having this Christmas punch, ponche. Uh, and of course we can't do posadas or celebrations during this time without tamales, right? So we have mm-hmm. to have tamales as part of it. So that is from the 16th through 24th of December. Uh, and then I'll take you through then to La Noche Buena, which in English means literally the good night. And that mm-hmm. is Christmas Eve on the 24th. Um, that's also uh, Noche Buena refers to poinsettias. And that's the name of a poinsettia in Spanish, which I, most people, when I tell them this, don't realize that poinsettias are native to Mexico. They originated mm-hmm. in Mexico. Wow. And it wasn't until the colonizer brought the poinsettias to the U.S. But that's our that's our plant as Mexicans, huh. right? Huh. Um, so you have Noche Buena, um, which is celebrated with La Misa del Gallo, which is a mass of the roosters. So at midnight, then on Christmas Eve, you have this massive um, mass that people go to, right? And after that, then there's a there's a big party as a result of that. Um, and then I'm going to take you to December 31st, which is Noche Vieja, uh, which means the old night. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, it's leaving, you know, the last day of the year. So it's the last day of the year, Noche Vieja, the old year, old day, and coming into the first, you know, the, the celebration of the new year. So at the Stroke of midnight, what happens is you have a plate of grapes and you should then eat a grape with each time the chime strikes the new hour, right? So each grape represents each bell, which is one month of the year. And the belief is, is that you welcome the new year by eating these 12 grapes to represent one grape for each of the new year's month and according to the tradition then eating the 12 grapes leads to a year of good luck and prosperity. 
So for all of our listeners, go get your your grapes ahead of time so that <laughs> New Year's Eve you have them lined up and we all know we can use some, you know, good luck and prosperity in 2022 coming off of this global pandemic. Uh, and then the last one that I would share with you is January 6th. Yes. And January 6th is Dia de los Reyes Magos, yes. which is King's Day. And for that, we um, there's a big pastry that um, is in a round form, almost like a wreath. A rosca de los Reyes is what it's called. And that's really unique to Mexico, but other countries have also adopted it in Latin America. And there's mm-hmm. a plastic baby Jesus that's baked into it. And so that ends up being like a big deal if you're the one that finds the baby Jesus in your Rosca de Reyes. Um, and historically, families would, you know, bake their own, but it has certainly come a long way where you see them everywhere. You see them now in some of these U.S.-based franchises in the U.S. where you would not expect that you would see a Rosca de Reyes. One of my friends sent me a text um, actually at the beginning of December, kind of confused in California, like, what's up? This is the beginning of December. They're selling <laughs> Rosca de Reyes and it's not for another month, you know. Right. But she was appreciative. She's like, okay, they're they're getting it, you know, they're they're trying to to meet us uh in terms of our culture. And so 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 it's a lot, you know, there's a lot of celebration. It's um it's really a lot of fun. And in terms of commercialization, certainly things have become more commercialized, as you have both have noted and alluded to, but by and by for us, you know, as when we were growing up, we didn't come with a whole lot. Um, we seldom had a Christmas tree. If we had one, it was artificial and it was not something that really was a big focus for us. Um, and it was really modest. I mean, quite honestly, it was really modest uh, in terms of gifts because of our financial constraints. And then us as parents with our girls who are now fully grown adults, probably for the last, I don't know, five, eight years almost, we decided we're not giving gifts per se to, you know, each other. It's more um, deciding who to support, you know, financially in terms of gift giving to organizations, because that's really what the need is. And community is looking at the gift of giving, you know, and, and not doing that inwardly, uh, but more so outward, outwardly with um, organizations that we would support them financially through gift giving. So, so lose yeah. it's very interesting because my, my stepdad, my step family is um, I say step family just for the sake of, we don't make those, those distinctions in my family, but for, so folks understand the, the connection um, in, in, in uh, outside of that, but, um, they're from Ponce and Fajardo in Puerto Rico. And mm-hmm. one of the interesting things that I see is, is the difference, right? So so what did you call, because I remember Pasteas where we would go house to house and every house had food and it was a marathon of gluttony oh, taking yeah. little <laughs> bits of food at each house <laughs> and watching my Titi Minga get snickered like like that's my just, dream just just <laughs> tore the the adults would get tore up um 
and it's and it's one of my learnings about the difference between the the brand of Pentecostalism and Catholicism that were that were clashing um, during that time. So so I got to see that with a little with a little twist, and then um in the Dia de los Reyes, the um shoes outside. Um, yeah. And so I'll never forget when my when my my grandparents were visiting from from Puerto Rico, and all of a sudden we had shoes. Our shoes were outside, and it's cold, mm-hmm. and we were like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yo. Um, now it's gonna my feet are gonna be cold. We need to go. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we are a one pair of shoe per person family. And so, uh, <laughs> so it was interesting to see the clashes, but then also some of the different flavors instead of the baby. And I, oh, I'll never also forget. Um, so so it was a cake. It wasn't the bread, but it was the cake with the baby Jesus in it. And it was mm. supposed to be good luck if you got the right slice. The problem is. Um, <laughs> so I'll never forget when, when my Tita Minga, um, she came and she made the cake here. Now at home, she has this nice metal one okay. that is, is round and safe and, and won't melt and leach chemicals into the cake. Um, <laughs> that's not what she found here. So <laughs> we cut into the cake and there's like this blue space around this cake oh and we're like you nobody wanted that piece so nobody <laughs> it, it quickly came became something to avoid then at that point right <laughs> but it's just it's funny the things that we we try to keep a hold of and and, and yeah. you know so through all wait, of our stories so lose if if you if you if you're the one that gets the baby jesus does that mean you're the one that has to bake the cake next time no, not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's more of a good luck, as as Anthony says. And, you know, and I want to decipher Titi. Titi is a word oh, that sorry. <laughs> is that's OK. That's used often in our community to refer to a, a grandmother. So Titi means grandmother. And then Dia de los Reyes. Reyes means kings. So it's a three kings day. I should have said that yeah. earlier. Oh, as well. I, I wonder because, you know, it's. It's uh, some very similar things celebrated in New Orleans. I was about to say that. Yep, but very if, much so. Yep. If you get the baby Jesus, the thing was is that you're you're the next one to have the party. Um, I think uh, that that well, yeah. So I was wondering yeah. how much is similar, you it's, know, well, across it's all these <laughs> these it's, different. It's yeah, all cultures. connected. My my best friend's uh, wife uh, are Irish Catholic. And they have a very similar cake tradition, but it's a, it's a rag or something like that that's baked into the cake as opposed to the baby Jesus. And then loose for me, um, we refer to my tita, my aunt, my tia Minga as Titi Minga. Um, ah, okay. And and from Puerto Rico, which is interesting because my aunts and, and my African American tradition, which makes me wonder how much connection there is to to Afro Latinidad in that regard, because all the aunts on. Um, and on the, on the side of my family that would would most likely, and unfortunately we can't know because of the the history through slavery and the erasure of of some of that genealogy. But we 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 had always suspected um, that that we had Afro Latino connections because of some of the cultural things that connect to Af- to, to Afro Caribbean culture. And one of those is all my aunts are Titi. Um, there you go. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. I mean, just just interesting noticing. I also noticed that all of us in our traditions are all dealing with and struggling with and navigating around the Christian holiday in this yep. holiday season, yep. as opposed yep. to 
other traditions that are also practiced. So I just wanted to name that. Well, that, and, that I all mean, of us are trying to figure that even, out. Even with the with like the Hmong New Year in America, we celebrate it the weekend of Thanksgiving because people have that week. That weekend is a long weekend, and so yeah. that's the most convenient time to have our big community celebration. I mean, yes, our, our the Hmong New Year takes place usually you know end of November ish anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's this way it's, it's planned kind of around the American calendar of, of this, mm. of the holidays here, uh, mm-hmm. because the celebrations are usually, you know, anywhere from three to a week long for the Hmong New Year. Um, and so it just kind of works out that way. Well, yeah. it fits with the tradition because, um, you know, you know, if we're really going to look, look, uh, um, anthropologically or, or, um, archaeologically, if you look at the historical record, you know, the birth of Christ, if we're going to use that as a centerpiece, wasn't in December, right? That got moved for for the sake of of trying to to push out pagan practices, overshadow pagan practices, and um for matters of of convenience and marketing. So so we get to this date with that level of adjustment anyway, please. So to me, that sounds like you're just doing the spirit of Christmas tradition anyway. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that sounds right. So, Luz, your your tradition took you all the way through New Year's. Plea is where there are there things because this when I say holiday season, usually mm. we're talking about Thanksgiving ish time frame all the way through the New Year. So, are there other moments where you're like, oh, we do things just a little bit different than dominant culture? Yeah, I mean, our New Year's are a big deal. That's really what everyone looks forward to, and traditionally, that's you know the end of harvest season. Um, yeah. And everybody comes together to thank the ancestors for helping see us through, take a three day break um, from working, um, which is hard here in America. And it used to be stuff like my, now my my dad will say, don't use money for three days or uh, mm-hmm. tomorrow mm. morning. You know, after we have our uh, every household has a celebration um, every time after we have our household ones the next day. First thing you do when you get up, take a shower, put on fresh, clean or new clothes. Don't spend any money for three days unless, you know, it's necessary. Um, you know, in the old country, there was a pole and some string made out of hay um, and a rooster killed and the families would walk under uh, the pole three times and then back the other way three times as a means of blessing them for uh, the past year and for the year forward. Mm. We have lucky eggs, we call them, our lucky eggs, and they're to bring you um, goodness and wealth and health in the next year. And so every every New Year, my mom hard boils a ton of eggs, and we make the kids mm. all eat an egg. On you know, that's the only day that they that they really need to eat their their lucky egg. And uh, this, uh, you know, all the kids always complain, oh, I don't like the yolk and the hard boiled eggs. And I always say, <laughs> I said, just once a year, you got to suck it up. For once, once a year, just once a year <laughs> you suck it up. It's, it's your lucky egg, you know. And so last year with COVID, it was like we couldn't we couldn't all be together. And so, you know, one person stopped by and picked up the lucky egg. It's like you got to have your lucky egg for the new year. Uh, mm. Wow. Yeah, and so it, it is a big deal. We dress up in our best clothes, our Hmong clothes that we've spent all year making. 
you know, uh, traditionally anyway. We used to do that when we were kids. Mom would make us sew all year to put on outfits that we would wear for one weekend. Uh, typically, it's really the only courting time because you're working um, on your farm oh, sure. all year. Yeah. Then you get these, yeah. these, you know, three days to seven days off and you're having these big festivals. So my first time that I went to Thailand was right around New Year time. It was because I wanted to see how they celebrated it. And uh, I met up with this guy named Thong um, through uh, Dr. Ku, uh, who unfortunately passed away from COVID. Um, oh. And uh, his last name was Lee and my last name is Lee. So he was like, you're my sister. So come stay at my house with my parents. And oh. they treated me as a sister. And I went with him from village to village as he courted women. Wow. And like I watched him like court women so, so you you weren't like a third wheel like obviously oh, yeah people women 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 wouldn't be interested in him because you're right by him or, no, or did you he have would, to keep a distance he'd say this is my cousin from america and i was you know i'm chubby and so everybody knew i was from america <laughs> you know they'd be like they'd be like oh we heard there was American in the village must be you and I'm like yeah that's us yeah that's me uh, so you know imme- it was just like immediately they knew I was the cousin from America and I was just like I would question him I'd be like you seemed really into that girl and now we're in this other village and you seemed really into that girl you know and it was like so I was able to see it kind of see it firsthand. Uh, but and that's where the ball tossing game comes in. That was the game where you you try to get to know a person wow. of the opposite sex um, mm. through the ball tossing game. I'm gonna leave the jokes alone on that one. But um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> so what I, what I love about about the different traditions is we we tend to to get boxed into this myopic view of how um, these celebrations you know should go but also the histories that go along with it, right? So a lot of the stories, this, this, this becomes high story season. And I know I was talking with Don about this the other day because wintertime, you know, with snow on the ground tends to open up, particularly for many indigenous communities, um, the ability to, to, to bring out the most sacred stories because snow has to be on the ground to tell some of those. And, and, I, and I was, we were reminiscing on the fact that, that there's a, a shared experience there in that um, a lot of the most sacred stories about survival, and, and think about this, right? All the rest of the year, folks are working through things, but this tends to be mm-hmm. a season where folks generally take more break than most of the year. And my family always worked. Like there was never, we, we, we had the kind of jobs that you didn't get a whole lot of vacation for. You had to just go and work. So this is the one time of year where, there actually is some built-in time for folks to, to, to not have to work. And this is when I would get the stories, the tragic ones that people wouldn't tell elsewhere because the season has such a, a focus on hope and joy and peace and love and all those types of things. It seemed to create a condition where folks were more willing to tell some of the harder stories during this time than any other time throughout the year. And so this is where I would hear <laughs> huge doses of Black history, not February, <laughs> contrary to what a lot of the, a lot of society <laughs> likes to reserve this for, right? It's during this time that I would get stories of, of, of folks who were lynched and folks who survived and, and, and crazy stories about powerful women taking stuff, you know, taking 
odds in their own hand and making sure that nobody ever puts their hand in them again. Like this, these are the times that I would get these, these amazing <laughs> stories. Cause like one, um, the adults would get a little tipsy and forget the kids are still around listening. And two, that <laughs> for the, the reason I spoke about before. So, so this holiday season becomes this, this very different thing. Um, and, and so I'm just curious, you know, what, in addition to the traditions that we keep or don't keep or things like that, what are some of the things that you were, you all remember from, from the times that family gets together during the things that we've already shared? Yeah, I, I, um, I appreciate that question because uh, as soon as you said, you asked it, uh, Anthony, I, it took me back to when I was a kid. We, so there's, five of us in terms of siblings and then my parents. So there's seven of us. So the seven of us would get in um, our vehicle, our sedan. So it was not an SUV. This is before SUVs were a thing. Um, there were station wagons, but we could never afford one. And we would drive from Chicago to Mexico, which is a two-day trip. You know, the first mm -hmm. day would get you just across the border in Texas. And then day two would be an entire day getting through Texas, and then in the wee hours of the morning, we would reach uh, my grandparents' home, which is, uh, well, it's still there, but they've since passed, uh, Monterrey, Mexico, which is Monterey, Mexico. And um, we would not always go during the holiday season. Sometimes we would go during the uh, summer. But when we did go through the holiday season, it was really magical because our cousins from Texas would meet us there. Um, sometimes our other cousins from Chicago would, would drive on their own. Uh, but then our cousins who live in Mexico would meet us at my grandparents. And there would be an abundance of these stories, right? Uh, and it would just be almost magical. And my siblings and cousins would often be just outside playing Keep in mind, it's Mexico, right? So it's not cold. And so you're, you, you are right. really enjoying the fact that yeah. it's not cold and it's not <laughs> snowy, right? Um, and I would sit um, to the side. I would sit outside as the elders would speak, primarily my grandfather. And I would sit right by his side and just listen to all of the stories uh, that he would recount when he um, he owned some property and, you know, it was ultimately nationalized by the government. So he would lose, you know, he lost the, the property without being compensated fairly. Um, and just all kinds of stories about our families and his growing up and things of that sort. And my parents would get frustrated with me because they would say, go play with the kids, go be a kid. And before I could speak, my grandfather would come to my defense and say, look, she's here because she wants to. And she's mm. here to learn mm -hmm. and she is learning. So let her be kind of a thing. Uh, and I always appreciated that in him because, um, you know, it, to me, I'm, I, I love history as a, just as a matter of fact, but then of course, c pertaining to your own family history, I think that is incredibly rich. So mm. I, I, when you asked that question, it, it brought me back to my childhood right? childhood year. So, uh, yeah, fond memories of that. Not so much, you know, since they passed, uh, all of my family siblings and parents are in Chicago still. And I was mm. the only one who ventured elsewhere outside of Chicago. Um, mm. but you know, we still will, um, have conversations by phone, of course. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, 
it's nice. I mean, it's, and then, you know, starting those tradition with your own kids, right. And, and having the ability to recount some of the stories, but also create those memories of your kids when they're young and reflecting on some of the things that they probably don't remember because they were kids. And so as parents, we can impart on them some of the experiences that we remember. Uh, one of my most endearing memories of Christmas as a parent is our youngest daughter, who is now 24, but she this happened probably five years ago or so. So she was 19. She's in college, didn't have a job, didn't have money, um, and somehow had, you know, I don't know, 25 bucks in her account or so, whatever. And she gifted that whole $25 away to, to charities. Uh, and she would do so in our name. And at one point, uh, one of the cards that uh, she gave to uh, my other daughter uh, was like a $5 contribution to a nonprofit. And um, it zeroed out her account. And, you know, I get emotional just thinking about that because it is so endearing to, to see that someone at that young age, at 19, rather than trying to find something, you know, commercial to buy, reflected on the importance of just paying it forward to another organization. And $5 is not going to name or break. You make or break a, a nonprofit, but it's a, it's a thought that counts, you know, and it's the value mm -hmm. system that really counts. Um, so those are, you know, those are one of, you know, just the many things that I, I think about with respect to the holidays and how it's, it's really better to give than it is to receive. You know, um, I, there's, there's so much, there's so much there. I, I just, I just love that we turn these things up so that we can talk about them, you know, as, as we continue to continue to move, but that, that has been a central tension for us as parents as well. And looking at the traditions, because the things that we remember and carry forward in the experiences None of them were about the, the 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 presence, and I always remember there being the struggle because the the presence became a central thing, and so many folks in my family had issues there, you know, because we so much of our energy was wrapped up in that part of it, and not in all the other things that actually had much longer lasting um, importance and effects. And it's the thing that we actually remember. Like I I can't go and tell you what. I got certain places, you know, I may can pick my brain in particular things, but the, the, the gift part was, was so, so secondary entirely growing up. And there was some place where that shifted. And I remember the family doing a, having some, almost like a lament that somewhere along the line, it shifted in the very things that gave us these rich memories stopped happening. And, and it's a particular point of tension for us as parents because we, you know, our kids in the, being part of this dominant cultural space, are, 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 were, we saw that they began to lose that. And so we made a shift to, as you, as you, you know, describe loose of, of saying, so what in this season are we doing for others? And what experiences are we going to have so that we have stories to tell? And that we're starting to see our kids pick up on the, what experience are we going to have, whether it's with family complicated now of course because of covid but who, whether it's with family whether it's going someplace i mean you you saw last year we got on the road in a pop-up camper and uh that's right and decided to take our kids on an adventure and see some things um and they're 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 in order to get a ticket onto the adventure they had to figure out who they were going to support and what place 
what it, what experience or service they were going to provide for somebody else in order to be able to go. And it's changed the game. It's it's starting to 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 create the kind of experiences that me and my wife reminisce on. Yeah, I mean, even for our kids, uh, you know, my siblings all kind of had children around the same age. Um, mm-hmm. They had they kind of planned pregnancies around <laughs> each other, <laughs> which is great because the kids all have best friends, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But for twenty twenty for for Halloween. We decided since we were all bubbled uh, as a group that we were just going to have a Halloween party at my sister's house. And us uh, adults, there are eight siblings, um, we each sibling, each couple was going to plan a game, right? And we would have stations and they would go from station to station, play games, get some candy. And we thought they'd be really bummed about it because they couldn't go trick-or-treating. Well, this year, 2021, everybody was trick-or-treating and they didn't even care to go trick-or-treating. They're like, we had so much more fun at the party, mm-hmm. being wow. with each other and being like, seeing, yeah. you know, mom and dad dress up and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, playing, playing these creative games and games where they had, they were challenged to do things. They, they had so much fun doing that. They didn't even care to go trick or treating. And so it was like, okay, you know, teaching them that the, it's really the experience. And they picked up on right. that, that the experience of being with their best friends was better than being cold and begging strangers for candy. It's like the same candy that we were giving them at home, right? And more of it. Yeah. We, we, it's funny, Clee, we, we, we do a friend's dinner with, because uh, uh, me and several of my friends all have experienced some kind of instability um, in high school. And so there's this group of us that have kind of bounded together, you know, what, you know, in that regard. And so we now have this friend's dinner unit that we do the same thing, Clee. Every Halloween, like like if some folks want to go trick or treat, that option's there. For the, for the most part, we sit around fires and fireplaces, and you know have more candy than we could think of, uh, and not worry about going out to to different folks' households. The value shift that I love to what you said, Flea, is is we want to like like how do we so you know how do we you know I don't know just I love getting together and saying no we can do our own thing because. That was part of what made the holidays for me growing up because we had no choice but to do our own thing because we couldn't afford to do all the stuff everybody else was doing. So that birthed so many dope traditions and experiences. Um, like one, one year, this is, how fu- this is how funny it was. My grandma's TV, she had an old school TV. You had to string the antenna up around the house um, to get J and to get the channels. <laughs> <laughs> and and one year, one year we had a contest to see who could put the hangers together in a way that got the most channels. Like I, I'll never forget that. I was like, I had to be six or seven years old, and it was hilarious to to see <laughs> who could do it. And and like that's where I got my my super nerddom from because my <laughs> my apparatus was elaborate, and um, it didn't help at all because none of that you know, the actual electronics and physics of it didn't match up with what we were trying to do, but, you know, it made the memory, right? And and it launched so many different things. I say that to say there are certain traditions that, you know, as we think about moving forward, things that we may keep or change, one of the things that I will never, traditions, you know, because some I want to change and move, like turkey and ham, I want to decenter turkey and ham. That's not my mission. And I'll see if, <laughs> if the old folks will let me do that. But, the um, one of the things that we do every single year and is is get ready for what's called watch night. 
Um, watch night was a practice that began um, for some parts of the country for captive Africans and freedmen mm-hmm. um, who in, 19, in, in 1862 awaited the um, beginning of the year where the Emancipation Proclamation would take effect. Now, we know that a large amount of, of, of captive Africans across the South had no access excuse me, had no access to knowing about the Emancipation Proclamation. But for many parts of the, of the, of the, of the country, they, folks did. And they kept watch um, that night. To, and, and there was singing and there was dancing and there was food and there was general, you know, a, a general celebration, pre-celebration of what was assumed to be freedom. Now, of course, it would take two more years for that to actually be true. But it, be, it, it was something that started with that, but then has made itself a part, at least when I was growing up, where I would get together and I would hear the most beautiful, unscripted music I have ever heard in my life. If you can imagine a year's worth of toil, stress, remembrance of ancestors wrapped up into music that where somebody would just start the song and these harmonies that were both haunting and beautiful would just start to happen. And there was just this organic, you didn't know where it was going to go. You just follow the spirit as it moved. And it wasn't, you know, while while we did it in the Christian context, it was so much bigger than that. Um, and I'll never forget that. And that's a tradition that we have chosen to keep is to do that year of remembrance, to remember where we've been, remember where our ancestors have come from, remember where we have to go. And to be real honest with the struggles, but in a way that says, because we've gotten through it, we will get through. Like there's this whole hopefulness to it. And that's something that I look forward to each and every year as a tradition that I'm like, I'm going to keep this alive as much as possible. So I'm curious for you all, you know, as you think about traditions you've kept, traditions you've lost, traditions that, you know, you, 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 as you think about celebrating and going forward, what are some of the traditions that you're just like, oh, I wish we could either bring it back or keep it really strong going? Well, I wish I was sitting in on every one of those nights every every year that you are uh, celebrating the watch night. Um, it sounds just glorious. I mean, I, I was sitting here just uh, imagining, you know, uh, just various artists, you know, old school, uh, Mahalia and, and, and others who, you know, I could see their music just being a big part of um, of the celebration and 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 just commitment to excellence and uh, a hope, right? Um, in terms of our home, we I was sitting done- here. I was sitting here thinking how I didn't want to be there because my family just yells when we sing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got that too. <laughs> Trust. I mean, Trust, we got the, that too. <laughs> the first birthday party my husband went to, you know, and he's, he's a musician. He was like, what was that? Everyone just yells as loud as they can when they sing. So, but do they sing on key at least? No, Are they no, singing on key. No. Oh, okay. No. Well, as long as you're then. singing, there's like we're participating because we're singing, but oh. it's really just yelling. Yeah, that's yeah, that's not that's that's not us. We're <laughs> both my side, my wife's side. We're all really musical. Like we go out for birthdays, and you know when we're there because. Every white folk in the in the place in the restaurant looks at us because we sing these four songs, quick songs for birthdays, in public, and it's always in four part harmony. Yeah, and, and when you said you guys sing in harmony, 
I was like, nope, <laughs> no, not my family. But it's like that home harmony, right? It's not like everybody gets up. <laughs> nobody, nobody agrees to the harmony ahead of time. They just know what works and what fits and what doesn't. I never, I, I thought it was just an African-American in the United States thing. I was studying in South Africa and it was youth youth day at the stadium in Soweto. And they broke out in, in the, the, in, in, uh, the national anthem and four part harmony for like 60,000 people. I'm like, did they coordinate these parts? No, it's just a part of the dango culture. Wow. So, like, I was like, I was like, oh, we got amazing. that. We got that. You're <laughs> like, I'm home. I'm home. So, Man. so Anthony, I, I am surprised that we've gotten as far as we have. Uh, in this conversation, and you have not mentioned anything about black eyed peas and greens for New Year's. What's oh, going on? What hey, is going on? You know, it's that's one that's just so like n- regular. I didn't even think about it as a as a cultural thing because a lot of folks do it outside of just black cultural space. I mean, I think our black eyed peas are better, but that's just my bias. <laughs> um, and I'm the one that does the black eyed peas too, so I'm I'm kicking myself doubly loose because. <laughs> Cause I'm the one that makes them. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so our listeners probably know by now that my husband uh, is African American and uh, that's something that I learned. So we've been together now 33 years. Um, and, and black eyed peas is something that uh, I, I learned as part of our um, time together. And so it's black IP cornbread and greens, uh, like a staple. It's got to be done mm-hmm. on New Year's Day. Right? It better be there. It better. It better happen. <laughs> like I will. That's one of those things that if, if we violate that is we, we going to move down a few pegs in the, in the community. So do you want to speak to the significance of that? Uh, well, for the that's listeners? the thing, Luce. I, I always thought it was a black thing until the best, one of the best batches of black eyed peas. I can't believe I'm gonna say this. Uh, my friend, my white good friend, who has a history of doing black eyed peas as long as they can think of back in back in, in their family tradition, made this made this pot of black eyed peas. I swear, it made me feel real, real some kind of way, because <laughs> um, it was good and it was better than any of the ones I had growing up. Um, so I don't know Whoa. where the tradition origin originated from. I knew it was something that we did and every other black family I know did, but I didn't know that I, I just, so I just assumed it was a thing in our, our culture, but I come to find out it's not, it's not specific to, to mm-hmm. African-Americans. Irish did it too. And so I've never gone back and look up what the significance of that is. Interesting. Yeah. I've only seen it, uh, and experienced it, uh, in the black tradition as well. Yeah. Me, so me, I, me I'm too, learning something new last year. Until last huh. year, <laughs> it was the same for me. Wow. So, um, wow. you know, there, there's a lot. I'm, I'm still curious about, you know, if you had to, if you think back about what traditions you want to keep going. I actually, Lee, I actually love the fact that your family gets together and yells, yells music. I think that's a <laughs> that's a kind of freedom that that I wish I could do because um, you don't get all kinds of looks in my lessons, house. lessons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell Jim, tell Jim he can come and hang with us and, and, and experience it one year. <laughs> you know, um, Anthony, to your to your question here, we started our own tradition in our in my nuclear family, and I and I say nuclear because in in our culture, in the Latino culture, 
family is is not nuclear. Right. It's grandparents and cousins, and you know, it's it, it's all of it, right? So I, I yeah, needed grandma, to qualify that. Uncle cousins, grandma, everybody. Uh, yeah. So in our nuclear family, uh, we started a tradition quite some time ago where I make uh, enchiladas uh, from scratch with rice and beans, and my girls and my husband are like, "When are you making enchiladas?" Right? Uh, it's a it's it takes a bit in terms of time and effort. So that's what we um, have learned to just to make for the Christmas holiday, and then sometimes I'll also do it for Thanksgiving because they want it more than just once a year, but that's something that I didn't grow up with per se, but have mm. um, really embraced. And also tamales. I mean, we love tamales, you know, and, and mm. making tamales are, I mean, it's just so time um, yes. yeah. intensive. Yes. I mean, it's just <laughs> really, so pretty much folks just run over and, and buy them now at one of our uh, supermarkets, our supermercados locally, right? But mm-hmm. um, there are some things that, are just you know when you when you take that bite of a tamal you know I mean all kind of memories come to your heart you know and and your soul right away it, it's just who we are as a people and of course I should qualify that tamales are different in Mexico than they are in Guatemala than they are I was gonna say <laughs> Honduras and they are you know pasteles in Puerto Rico uh-huh. I mean there's just there are different variations of the same thing. Because food is such a staple, staple thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings, you know, I love how you say that it brings back all of those different memories. And, um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, during this season, we are never too far away from um, cultural appropriation, even of things that are done to be non-traditional. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, you know, as you talked about food and, and stuff like that, I'll often have friends who will tell me about their quote unquote holiday meals or Christmas dinners. Um, most of them time it's it's Christian folks. And they'll always tell me about one dish that was non-traditional, big air quotes. And it always has some air of um, <laughs> like we were being sassy and soulful. And so we added this dish. And it's always an awkward moment of, you know, them saying, yeah, so we we had macaroni and cheese, you know, because we were being so full. And I was in and, and every year, every year there's either a dish or a rendition of a song. I'll never forget going to one of my friend's churches. It was, the, he was, it was a Lutheran church and his whole family. They invited me over. They was in Toma, uh, Toma, Wisconsin. And um, I think I was 17, 18 years old and I go out there and everybody knew I was coming. And so they say they looked up a soulful Christmas song and it just so happened to be the temptation silent night. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> y'all, I sat there in this living room listening to to was it a silent night <laughs> like the, the straight t- temptation Cephas? was it a silent and they did the whole thing and it was the most hilariously i mean bless their hearts right because it was they were like you know we're doing this for you so you feel welcome and i get i get i get the sentiment 
But I had the, and the biggest gift that they gave me in that whole awkward moment is I got to go home and tell the best story of anybody that year. Yeah. I, I had, I had, food was coming out of folks' noses. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was the greatest gift, you know? And so I think one of the traditions that I would offer and wager that I want to keep are the awkward tripping over culturally of different traditions, stereotypes, assumptions, and bless their heart moments that happen during the holiday seasons. Because I tell you, I've gotten so much joy out of, out of, you know, that cultural hoof and mouth disease um, <laughs> that some of us experience. And I, I want to, I don't know if you can make a tradition of that, but it has yet to fail every <laughs> year I can think of. I have some awkward racial moment when comparing what we do in the holiday season, um, whether it's people trying their hardest to like soul clap and clap on one and three to a black <laughs> rendition of a Christmas song to Been that there. experience in coma. Like, <laughs> well, y'all, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, and in the holiday season, I know is inclusive of many other traditions beyond, you know, Christian centric traditions. I know that there's a lot of other things. We didn't even get a chance to talk about Kwanzaa, which, you know, is seeing in some cases it's resurgence in the in Black community space, um, where we, the seven principles of Nguzu Saba help reflect on, you know, purpose and hope and faith and cooperative economics and all these other things that was, it was devised in the 60s. So maybe we'll, we'll, I'll bring that up next next week when we record. But, and we, um, and we missed out know, on all of Don's experiences. Unfortunately, he couldn't be with us today. Oh yeah. And and I've talked with them personally and there's some really fun stories. So we'll see if we can pull those out in our next recording as we think about going into the new year because talk talk to a native person about uh the Christian expectations and holiday season and you get some really fun stories. Um tragic, yes, but but fun in, as well, kind of the dark humor side. Um so so I know we all celebrate many different ways. You know, as we think about this holiday season and we go forward, what's What's something that you're looking forward to to come in these next few days? Food. Food? <laughs> food. That's I'm just like food. I am thinking about <laughs> my mom's food. Mm. I love that. Um, just some time to to unplug, quite honestly. Unplug from work, unplug from my computer and spend time with my girls virtually because they're not going to be with us um, and with my family back in Chicago again virtually uh, and just hang out with my husband. So I, I'm looking forward to just some real quality time and um, yeah, a lot of love and laughter. Mm. So regardless of your tradition, there's some things that we can look forward to. Well, how about you, time. Anthony? Yeah, I'm getting there. It was, a, it, was, it was a whole setup. I was, oh, okay, I was poetically, I was poetically teeing it up, but sorry, since she just gonna get straight to the point, sorry. I feel like I'm with my family already. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. You, you, you that one cousin that's like, get to the point, wrap it up, B. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so for me, yes, the music, but I think most importantly is every year somebody makes sure to remind us all that now, starting at this season, each one of our days gets brighter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because each of our days get longer. So that's the, that's the kind of essence that I like to, if I can get to 
each day going forward going to be brighter than I than I have done what I needed to do this uh, Christmas season. And I'm always look forward to who in the family's going to kind of tie all that together, kind of like the benediction, if you will. There's always somebody every year who's going to be like, here's the reason for the season. And it's always a different type of wisdom or something like that. And it could be anybody. Sometimes it's a kid. Sometimes it's an experience. Um, sometimes, you know, it was one year when me and all of my brothers were wrestling. There's eight of us total. And uh, we were playing around and play fighting and everybody was telling us to stop. We're breaking stuff and getting in trouble and all of that. And all of that paled in comparison to the fact that somebody tickled Jeremy so hard that he farted super loud when it got quiet. And everybody, <laughs> like that, that was the, like, we can laugh at that. And it, and, and it didn't dawn on me that everybody was having a particularly hard year until that moment. So that's the, that's and the. You know, that, the, mo- that moment has gone down in history because no one's going to forget that moment. Oh, oh, I, I got some stories of the, of the brothers trying to figure out Christmas traditions. Um, I'll tell you the other ones offline, but that's it. That's like some of the, 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 the coming together of the wisdom and it never fails every year. Um, in all the ways, things that we've talked about, somebody somewhere hits that piece of wisdom that makes you go, yes, this is what, this is what ties all of this time together. Um, thank y'all so much for sharing your traditions with us. We're so glad, um, that we were able to get together. Sorry, we missed you, Don. Um, we couldn't be with you here with us. Um, and and um, thank you for sharing your traditions with us. No matter what your tradition is, no matter what your experience, no matter what you celebrate, may you always be able to, in whatever season, whatever opportunity there is to take a break, find that dose of wisdom that reminds you that your days are getting brighter. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, uh, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner of the Dendros Group. Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and insights I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway with co-hosts Luz Maria Frias and Hui Lee. This show is created and supported by Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.